that being able to cope with change, being able to, you know, mentally be fit through these things is an advantage for that insurance provider. Hi, I'm Tony Caldwell, and welcome to this episode of The Uncaptive Agent, where we're talking about the future of insurance, and specifically, the future of insurance distribution. And this morning, I have my guest, Ross Thornley. Ross is coming to us from London in the United Kingdom, and so he and I are separated. Uh, I'm at the beginning of my day. He's at the end of his day, but we have one thing in common. We just had eggs. So, uh, welcome, Ross. (laughs) Great to be here. Thanks, Tony. I'm so so delighted to have you. So Ross and I are acquainted through a strategic coaching program called The Strategic Coach. Dan Sullivan is our coach, and we're in a program called Free Zone Frontier together. And that's how we became acquainted. And uh, on, on a call a couple of months ago now, we were uh, sharing back and forth through the chat. And I thought, you know, It'd be wonderful to have Ross on. Uh, You know, Ross, you're not in the insurance business, but your business is really interesting to me because you are seeking to find through uh, artificial intelligence and real human intelligence uh, what makes people tick in the way of being adaptable. Could you talk just for a minute about what that means? Yeah, sure. And actually, it's interesting when you said I'm not in the insurance business, and that made my brain think in a few ways. And I thought, well, am I in a strange way in terms of our adaptability as an insurance of our future? And essentially what we're looking to do is understand how and to what degree does an individual adapt? You know, why do they adapt and when? So that we can start to then thrive in periods of uncertainty and change and challenge that we're all going through. Uh, As long as we're alive, we're going through change. Well, we're all going through change all the time, but boy, this year, 2020, has been, uh, you know, one for the record books from the standpoint of change. Everything got uh, completely disrupted uh, from a normal routine in March. Um, In in your career, have you ever seen anything like this? And what is this, what are the the challenges people are facing right now? What is that, how is that showing up in adaptability or lack of adaptability? Uh, What are some of the, the symptoms or things that you're seeing? I think to cover off a couple of the you know, interesting points there is that many of us have faced interesting challenges in our lives, good and bad. Um, what's quite unique about this situation, another um, acquaintance of ours, Nick Nanton, kind of described it, that we're all in the same storm. We're not, we're not in the same boat because we've all got different boats, but we're in the same storm. So what, what's uniquely uh, interesting about how people adapt is for some, this is an exciting time. It's a time of discovery, a time of innovation, time of opportunity. For others, it's an incredible time of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. And there's not necessarily black and white. That can happen on a, even a daily basis, let alone weekly or monthly or, or, or uniquely to different industries. I think what I'm seeing is uh, an area that I'm describing as like the three Bs. There's burnout, there's breakdown, and there's boredom. And so what generally happens when something is turned upside down, when an environment shifts such as it has, the way in which we conduct business or the way in which we have gone about our lives, whether that's travel, you know, we used to every quarter see each other in Chicago. And now, you know, we're transported via Zoom a lot of the time. Whilst it gets one job done, we've had to adapt certain things. And so 
where we have a breakdown, for example, is something where an adaption hasn't functioned, hasn't worked. So an environmental shift um, or a desired goal or change, and then it breaks down because it no longer serves us. It no longer works. It's no longer possible. So it may be for, for many of us, we had a view of how tomorrow would be. And it could be someone's bad day if they go out to start the car and the car doesn't start. So their whole day could be set, you know, very different to how they visioned. So in, in, in adaptability terms, what's our resilience? Do we bounce back to that very quickly? Does it take us a long time? Or are we still talking about it at the dinner table at, at the evening? Or have we dealt with it, we managed to call a taxi and off we went. You know, have we got resilience to overcome that. Maybe something, for example, in adaptability grit. There's a difference between resilience and grit. You know, right. this is passion and perseverance over the long term. So it might be, you know, that uh, appointment that I was going to have I was going to come to Chicago. I was going to spend time with Tony and all my friends to, you know, develop my business further. And the flight was no longer happening. Do I try and find another route? Oh, Zoom, is that good enough? What about time zones? You know, do I keep going and have a way of uh, thinking flexibly to overcome that challenge to get the outcome that I'm looking for? And I might have to unlearn certain things. So another important aspect is that, oh, that's the way I always did it. I always got on the plane. I did my preparation beforehand. I used the flight. You know, I did my homework. And equally, when I was flying back, that's when I let it resonate, when I let myself reflect. How can I unlearn those processes that I had to think about doing that experience in a different way? And so what, we, what we're seeing, you know, this sort of breakdown of expectation and a breakdown of things that did work before and having to find new routes, and new ways, new pathways to overcome them. And one of the other just, you know, quickly uh, uh, components talking about hope. And we actually measure hope. And our original thinking was this was a trait, you know, a characteristic. Someone is either optimistic or pessimistic, or they have hope. But actually, the more we're getting involved in it, the more the science and psychology behind it is that this is trainable. This is something that you can improve your level of hope and so that you have this kind of freedom and agency and willingness to act you know you you have this sense of a pathway a strategy in order to have hope and without hope generally there is no future so i think what we're seeing that breakdown is when something doesn't have a future taken away from us or we choose it we say i'm not going to do that anymore mm -hmm. and in terms of burnout Burnout's an interesting one because this, this sense of overwork, overwhelm as a system. You know, we've had many things at breaking point and then there's been a burnout, a burnout for individuals. And we're seeing right now, whilst our work environment has shifted, burnout might not be ah, the way we're doing work, but it could be the context now that we're homeschooling. And we're having to deal with family around. We're having, you know, new situations and new things happen where our plan for our wealth, our plan for our future is suddenly come into question. And therefore, um, am I going off in lots of spirals, working in all sorts of different areas of my social life that might burn out relationships, that I'm suddenly 
in the same home as my family day in, day out when I used to go to the office. Right. Uh, you know, how are we dealing with that? So I'll just take a pause there because there's lots of, you know, I, I'm so passionate about this subject. You know, I can talk for a long time about it. Well, you know, I, as I was listening to you talk, obviously adaptability or the lack of it has a lot to do with your success in your personal life, not to mention professional life. So I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm really seeing that and I appreciate you sort of breaking down some of the, the legs, if you will. And I want to come back to hope because I'm really curious about that in just a minute. But, but I'd like to, you know, just explore or ask this question. So I think everybody's heard about emotional intelligence. Um, we all know about technical knowledge or excellence. Uh, we know about the ability, you know, the value in, in terms of work, let's say, of hard work, of perseverance and long hours and all those kinds of things in terms of contributing to success. And then there's luck, of course. Uh, but in your research, how important is this idea of adaptability to long-term success in business? I think a lot of the information is showing that this is one of the most important things for success in all areas, whether that's you know our mental health, social, or workplace achievement, because it's the ability to take in new information and data and respond accordingly. So uh, the opportunities at which present themselves by either discovery and curiosity or by the slap in the face, <laughs> you know, what we do at that point describes our future and it's a very interesting you know that having high aq and adaptability isn't about always being adaptable you know we see this sort of phrase oh it's it's being flexible it's going with the flow it's being the water well sometimes you're the rock and the adaptability is about the environment around you that the water goes around you so you might need to adapt your industry or adapt a behavior of a community to a better way rather than you necessarily adapting to it. And that's where, that's where all change comes from, right? It was a Charles Bernard Shaw, all change comes from the unreasonable man. You know, you have to consider something unreasonable in order to desire to change it. So it's both intrinsic as an individual and extrinsic in terms of our team, our organization, and our industry which is trying to adapt at what point. So our success to influence that externally and internally is what future is about and, and prosperity and wealth in, in terms of being able to effectively do that. So a lot of businesses are going undergoing change, not just because of Corona, but because of technology and just mm -hmm. general advances. Uh, everything's faster, uh, you know, more virtual. The insurance uh, agency business, and I'm sure it's true in the UK, just as it is true in the United States, is undergoing a lot of fundamental change. It's really an industry that's probably 125 years old. Uh, independent insurance agents representing many carriers, taking care of clients uh, based on relationship and choice and, and all that kind of thing. And, and it really not much has changed in a century other than we went from handwriting to typewriters to word processing equipment. And, um, you know, but, but the fundamentals of the business really haven't changed. So today, those changes are coming very, very rapidly. Technology is, is speeding everything up, but it's also uh, making people who were uh, really focused on transactional business, you know, doing things over and over again, you know, quickly, 
they're going to be outpriced in the marketplace by algorithms. Uh, at the same time, tools like Zoom uh, mean geography doesn't have the limiting impact that it once had, so there's a huge opportunity. So, you know, my thesis is that the next three to five years are going to be radically transformative for many people, and then others who don't transform will have to exit the business uh, or be faced with a shrinking future rather than a growing future. So, all of this means that one way or another, you have to change and adapt. And so, and so, uh, you know, if, if I'm an insurance agency owner uh, and I'm looking at this future in five years and saying, hey, I've got to, I've got to make some changes. And you, you say some of this is environmental and I'm the rock. Some of it, you know, I've got to deal with myself. But how do I make sure that the team around me it has the right adaptability uh, quotient, as you described it, so that we can make the journey together and come out the other side successfully. It's a really key point, Tony. And I think, you know, I'm not an insurance industry expert, but um, this transcends many industries in terms of the technological displacement. And what generally happens that we've seen is a inset of the immune system to protect now, this is how individuals, teams, organizations in the 20th century have grown. You know, they will do a, net, a development of innovation, and then every innovation thereafter is about productivity and efficiency. It was about how do we extend the life of that proposition, uh, either over time or by scope and geography. So we're doing the same thing, but more of it, and we're doing it leaner. And a lot of the systems, the governance, the risk protocols for how to adopt change, how to leverage change were set up for that. What we're facing now that you described is this exponential world where we have algorithms that can do underwriting, that can do risk analysis, that can do payouts instantly, more accurately than individuals can. You know, and it, it's been coming a while, but now it's super accessible. You have companies that, you know, I've seen and been exposed to companies like Lemonade.com, for example, where, where the shift of the human interface versus getting the job done, <laughs> what is it that I'm after? And it's, of course, nuanced depending on whether it's something as transactional as ensuring an uh, inanimate object to a life to all of the other aspects. And I think what I've, what I've seen, and to answer your question about what does your team need to be thinking? How do your team need to be behaving to make sure you're the one that adapts and survives, not the one that dies? You know, because it truly right. is adapt or die time. And it's not slow death either. It's sudden. The difference was it might have taken years or generations for that slow death. Now we're facing a period where death can come very, very quickly for a proposition, for a company, for an organization, if it doesn't uh, respond. So understanding this recognition of the immune system that comes up and says, that's not the way we do it here. That's not how we've done this. You know, whether it's uh, adopting this new software piece, this new piece of technology, this new way of thinking, well, that hasn't helped us be successful. We didn't need it in the past. Why do we need it before? When it comes in, we're trying to protect. We're trying to protect the system. You know, Kodak trying to protect their film business. You know, the paper processing in terms of the, that business versus digital. What we need to encourage within our teams is curiosity. We need to encourage rapid experimentation. 
And so that when we're doing these experiments, we're open to getting a result that will be different to perhaps the one we got yesterday so that we can take on that new information so that we build in this uh, culture of team support to say, what have we tried in the last 72 hours? What are we going to try again next week? What did we try last week? What's changed? What's still the same? What could we do differently so that we, we have this kind of balance between a business as usual team that is about protecting. And what we're trying to think about now is companies of saying, well, we want those same people to think about the moonshot innovation, to think about the, what's coming next, horizon two and three. And it's very different the mindset, the structure of those sorts of things. So my encouragement is to give your, your team phases where they can have that playground. You know, it used to be called these sand, you know, sandboxes where radical innovation was done. That now is no longer good enough. It can't be an innovation department. It can't be someone else. Everyone has to be involved in looking at ways that they can experiment and improve what they're doing by imagining new things, not necessarily just looking at productivity and efficiency, imagining how they might show up uh, okay. in the future. So, so insurance agencies are typically relatively small businesses. I mean, they're not mm -hmm. thousands of people typically, right? Uh, sometimes there are half a dozen people working in a small team or maybe a couple of dozen people in, a, in, a, in an exceptional case. And you have really three kinds of people. You have administrative people, you have service people, and you have salespeople. And increasingly what we're seeing is that for agencies to be successful, they really need to be sales organizations, which means that a big chunk of the employees who have historically seen their role as nurture, okay, taking care of client relationships, nurturing, have to have to shift into a more of a sales role where uh, they're also responsible for revenue creation. Okay, this so this is very uncomfortable for nurturers. And what it really means is that there's a group of people who probably have a limited future in the business, uh, you know, um, just by virtue of their own skill set and orientation. Um, and what I'm hearing you say is that in addition to that, this, this, um, this idea that I have to be adaptable, I have to be imaginative, I have to be risk-taking to be successful in a role, whatever it is, inside a business for the future. I mean, that's a whole new set of skills or hardwiring. Um, and, and so I'm setting up a question here, which is, uh, you know, we're really used to in our industry using uh, assessments, personality assessments, skill assessments, all those kinds of things to help put people in the right spot. Uh, but if I'm a small business guy, entrepreneurial, uh, want to have adaptable people on my staff, you know, I'm interviewing folks, I don't think I can get that in an interview. So how do I figure that out? So I get the right person, the right, you know, the first time. Yeah. I think they're really important points and I'll, I'll answer the, the, the question in a moment because you, you covered a couple of really important points there in terms of people are already facing the need to change, you know, whether, Oh, I'm a nurturer and now I'm under pressure to go and be a hunter. Um, and I'm feeling that. I'm anxious. So it's not who I am. It's not my identity. It's not my character. But right. do I have to do that in order for me to survive or my company to survive? And the answer, and you know, for, for me is, is quite an interesting one because it depends on your goal and on your context. 
you know, if you're ready and done and you're just wanting to, you know, <laughs> come to an end point, then probably not up for the fight. So look for a, you know, a route out that gives you a, a thank you and a move on. Let mm -hmm. room for others. If you're up for the fight, realize that you're going to have to train. You're going to have to retrain because whilst you played sports on the field and you were great, you had all the skills and you were winning it, that field has now turned to water. So all the kit, everything you were wearing, all the tools you had, aren't going to serve you anymore. So where you were great at nurturing, all of those sorts of things, even nurturing in water is different. Sales in water is different. Right. So rather than trying to think everyone can rapidly and radically shift overnight to that, uh, a Chris Voss piece, you know, low risk stakes practice. Right. So give... Uh, the people the opportunity maybe when they're thinking about those experiments and various bits to be a salesperson for the day be a hunter for a day in a five-day week try it on you know learn from those experiences not saying oh, you have to be this right now and every day being a salesperson use your nurturing for the four days and put one day into that and slowly move that transition but know that if you're not starting and not supporting or providing the environment at which they can do that, the likelihood is that your choice will be taken away. Death will come for you, <laughs> not on your terms. So the point is, is to make this on your terms and, and to come to your point of how do you know who can do this and who can't? First of all, for me, I have a fundamental belief that everyone can adapt. It's just a level at which uh, they can and how they approach it. So if I don't know, Tony, that you're maybe motivated by a burning platform or a burning ambition, my communication to you in my team might horrifically miss the mark. Oh, Tony, we're going to do this new initiative because we're going to have all this gain. And yet you're motivated to play not to lose. <laughs> you know, you're not motivated to win. You're motivated to play not to lose. And that's very different. Ah, we're going to do this new initiative because it'll help maintain what you currently like, Tony. Would right. that be great? <laughs> Rather than, <laughs> and so just simple things of knowing someone's, say, motivation style to the way in which they adapt can help you communicate with them. The same way when you're assessing people. So we built this assessment tool to measure adaptability. We do it across 15 dimensions. And each of these are scientifically looking at what's the emotional health, what's the level of stress, you know, what's the environment, what's, we talked about it earlier, hope. All of these things are components of our adaptability quotient. When we know it, we can then start to talk about the language, we can understand it, and we can improve it. So a key difference to perhaps they might have experienced other personality uh, assessments that categorize people, put them in a box and it never changes. You know, we love Colby at Strategic Coach, you know, 6473, they're my numbers and it never changes. Right. The difference with AQ is it's like your weighing scales. I can stand on the scales and it shows me where the needle is. And I can say, oh, I'm 30 pounds or I'm 300 pounds. Until you know other information, you don't know whether that's good or bad. My two-year-old baby Am I a 40-year-old woman? Am I wanting to do this? You know, am I a sumo wrestler? Am I a long-distance marathon runner? So in the insurance industry and in any job, 
What's your context and where are you at? What level of adaptability is required for you to thrive, for your team to thrive? You know, what is the period of disruption? Are you in this deceptive phase or is it all hell's broken loose and you need to, you know, really get with the program or risk being irrelevant? So understanding the context, the goal of where you want to be in that, and then that can start to uncover, well, who do I need on my team? Who's already on my team? And how can I help them evolve to be the people that I require to play the new game? Um, so, so this is a coaching tool as well as a selection tool. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. yeah. More, you, you know, the, the selection process, it's more of an awareness to then improve. Okay. You know, it, like I said about weight, you might select it only knowing the goal, like height, you know, um, playing basketball or doing limbo. Right. You know, it, the, the same is true is within your business, know where you want to be and what you want to do, what your goals are, and select accordingly from within and externally to be the setup for what you need to achieve. And it's sure. this ability to maybe realize what got us here won't get us there. And I don't mean just people. I mean, sure. the way people behave. Right. So are there people that just aren't adaptable, that just, you know, won't, I mean, won't, can't uh, adapt? Uh, I think, um, I think they are, there are, and they exist in the morgue. <laughs> you know, the, the, the reality of people not adapting are right. dead. Yeah. If you're alive, you're adapting. Okay. The level of your adaptability is then in, in truth. So okay. I, I, I don't think there are people that aren't adaptable. You know, we can hear a bit of music, changes the way we feel, think or behave. We can meet somebody, we can read a book, we can see a film and we'll adapt our way of thought. Some of it might be deeper set and harder to do. And some of it's about timing. You know, for many, oh, the world is flat. And they need certain information to tell us the world is round. Yeah. There's still people alive today that believe the world is still flat and not round. You know, so the, each person needs different triggers and different information in order to adapt. So we might say, ah, this is the future, Tony. AI is the future. For you, it might be that AI is completely irrelevant, like some people believing the world is round. Uh, or the world is flat. So I, I think everyone is adaptable. As soon as we start to know and report and measure, then we've got a benchmark to work from. Otherwise, it's just a dark room and we're stabbing in the dark. So I want to come back to hope. Thank you. Um, you know, you mentioned that earlier and you said that hope isn't static and it, uh, you implied that hope can be nurtured, developed, trained, coached. Yep. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation recently, uh, in fact, uh, yesterday, uh, with a young man who is has a pessimistic look uh, in view of life, right? And, and life has reinforced that for him. Um, he isn't, I wouldn't say hopeless, but he's not very hopeful. And it was interesting because uh, he would bring something up and I said, well, but that's not right. And give him examples where, you know, other people had overcome things. And what it rapidly became clear to me was that he had a mindset issue, okay? His mindset was fundamentally pessimistic and negative based on his experience. And so inspiration was what was required to help him think differently, okay? 
And, you know, uh, we've actually had a conversation now over a period of days, and he's coming back and he's going, well, you made me think about this, and then he asked questions. So what it tells me is, uh, what you know, is, is that he can change his mindset, and I believe that, right? And if that's what hope is based on, well, that's incredibly powerful because people who are hopeless um, really aren't ever going to go anywhere and probably don't have any adaptability. So how do you coach hope in the people on your team knowing that there's a lot of hopelessness right now in the world? I mean, you know, Corona was supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to have pro- solution, you know, months ago, and it wasn't supposed to be as bad as it is, and it's coming back, and, we, and who knows how long it's going to last, and many people have lost their jobs, lost their future, uh, or at least they think they have, they think they have. Mm-hmm. So, so how, do we, how do we do that as leaders? How do we coach hope? It's a great, great question, and one where I think there's a huge opportunity, so to, without getting too sciencey, to cover off a couple of bits. So the optimism and pessimism piece is different to hope, you know, um, and, you know, optimism in, in, in one sense is looking at information and saying, uh, I believe something or not. That's one component of hope. So the agency component component of hope is about having the belief, but also having the will and also having, say, this freedom of choice. Hopelessness is you've removed the freedom. You've removed the choice. I feel I don't have a choice in that. So I'm lacking the agency component of that. What can happen over time is that our, you know, corrosion of belief of choice of freedom of willingness can be corroded through external inputs take the media for example a media is something that feeds the amygdala it feeds this desire for negativity (laughs) you know it's how we're hardwired and it gets a response so constantly bombarded by fearful negative kind of information that drives a society that's more pessimistic than optimistic. So the first thing we can do to train and coach hope is to give information of optimistic information that will feed our agency and willingness and belief that something is possible and give us the permission to choose some of those things happening. Then we have another component, which is about some of the, the capabilities that we have in order that we've got this vision, you know, of something we've got agency. And then we've got another component there, which is the kind of capabilities in order to do this. And for for me, you know, what we can do is share success. We can share gratitude and we can also do a, a small little exercise. It's kind of built in one way, similar to resilience. And this is about doors closed, doors opened. Mm. So when we face a situation, often the first thing we see is the door that's just closed. Right. right? And we're not able to perhaps in that moment realize that another one opened. So if we list, oh, what's all the things that have now changed? What's all the things that have stayed the same? Right. What door is closed? What door is open? So if I come back to the story of, 
traveling, coming to see you at coach every 90 days. That door closed. Flights were said no longer possible. So, ah, you know, am I now got no hope? Am I hopeless? Uh, You know, what's happening? The doors that opened, I've just gained 10 hours of in-flight time each way. Right. Let alone the travel to the airports, all of those sorts of things. So a door open for me is now freedom of time in between those moments that we spent time together. So whilst the door closed that I can't physically be there, I can't do all of those things, door opened of, hey, I could get a decent night's sleep. Oh, I don't have to eat airport food. Oh, what would I do now? Or I spend an extra bit of time with my wife. And so I think about all the things that have opened start to give me positive thought and hope of a better outcome. Right. What the challenge is, is for the team is to link it back to that initial vision. So I might go, oh, great. I've got loads of great time. I'll go on a dog walk instead of doing it. That's not helping me to my vision of spending time with Tony and working on my business. Right. So I need to look at not only doors that open that are nice, but what ones are now open that still help me make progress to my vision. And sometimes we need help with that. So this is where the team support comes in. So when we do a doors open and doors closed exercise, do it collaboratively, do it with others. Say, ah, this has happened. This is the situation. This is how I'm seeing these things. Can you help me see some other doors that have opened or other pathways to solve and get closer to my vision? You know, one of the things we've done in our company is we we used to have, you know, monthly or sometimes every other month uh, company meetings and we would, always start with a positive focus and talk about you know, the good things that have happened and why and we'll celebrate those things and talk about gratitude. And with the arrival of, a, of COVID and you know, retreating to our homes and not seeing each other every day, uh, we began to do this weekly. And it, it's been really interesting in terms of the culture shift or the deepening of the culture is what I would say uh, because of the reinforcement. And so the intentional effort to to create hope. I, I remember back uh, three or four months ago when the massive layoffs were happening all over the world, you know, we were able to say, look, you know, our business, that's not going to happen. Uh, and here's the reasons it's not going to happen. And so uh, don't worry about that, you know, set that aside so you can focus on, on what's next. And so um, it, it, it showed me, I guess, the real value of immediacy, repetition, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of inculcating or putting into people hope. I mean, not even knowing where their level was individually, you know, it's like, okay, feed it, feed it, feed it. And, and so uh, I guess the, 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 the corollary to that would be that if as leaders we don't feed hope, uh, we should assume it will starve. Completely. You know, and... Nobody wants hopeless people, you know. Uh, When our usefulness goes, we start to um, look for solutions to that that are potentially in dark places. You know, they they end up in severe mental health challenges, Mm -hmm. uh, depressions, and, you know, potentially choices that uh, are not constructive to a a positive future. So as individuals of captains of our future self, 
and also of the people around us. It's our absolute responsibility to, you know, feed hope. And what you mentioned about positive focus, that's feeding hope. Mm-hmm. That's looking for things that give people hope. Having gratitude focus are a great thing to overcome when we feel uncertain, when we feel fear, when we're facing the business that might have changed, oh, this industry's shifting so quickly. How can I keep up? This is the way I did it. And now that's no longer working anymore. And I've got to go and do sales. And I've got to do, you know, as you mentioned, these various different activities. Right. Is that sometimes it might be that you're not the person to do that. But you might be the person that could identify who is. And it comes to another Dan Sullivan piece of who, not how. Right. Who might we need to collaborate with in our businesses? It might not be just one of our team or getting another team person. Who could we collaborate with in terms of adjacent industries right. or other capabilities? Who could we collaborate with that will help us solve some of these things and so that we can thrive in this new environment? And think even beyond an individual, it could be that that who is a piece of software, uh, you know, yeah. is a provider that, ah, oh, that was the enemy. That's the thing we, our immune system was protecting against, the AI, because it's taking this from us. What if it was thought of as your new team member? What if it was thought of as a, something you could then leverage as part of your collaborations for you to do what you want to do in your vision? And it's just that subtle shift that might then give you hope that your future is possible. So let's just talk about that for just a moment then, because mm-hmm. that's really, as I understand it, foundational to your business, which is the use of artificial intelligence to help coach leaders and ordinary people alike uh, to improve their adaptability, uh, their hopefulness, uh, all these component pieces. So how does that work? So it's a, a great thing, isn't it, that we recognize that there's this huge technological disruption and you know, we're facing high, high levels of unemployment, Uh, corona being one cause of that, but technological disruption being another massive cause of employment change. And not just about upskilling to get better at what we do, but needing to reskill and retrain and have different careers than we had before. So we, we face not having maybe multiple jobs, but having multiple careers. (laughs) Um, And what we've looked at within this is our assessments done via a conversational chatbot, right? So it's quite technically um, advanced in its use than having this sort of survey fatigue. Oh, it's another survey, another set of questions. If you go and have a conversation with an expert, it's a conversation with your doctor, with an insurance broker. You're having conversation. You're picking up all the bits of data and information from your years of experience. What we wanted to do with adaptability was be able to pick up all of these little subtle pieces through conversation that can form an accurate reflection of an individual's current state, where they are at the moment. And we do measure their environment because our environment has a huge impact. You know, I might be highly adaptable in this environment. I go into another team or another organization. I might go up or down. You know, it's a bit like with the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. Same is true in our adaptability. 
I can influence people's adaptability by changing their team, changing who they're around, the company that they're in. You know, they might be highly adaptable at home or not. No, dinner's always at six o'clock. You know, children in bed at nine o'clock. Or is there flexibility there, but not at work? No, this is the process that we have. So we, we adapt in different environments in different ways. The way we want to um, leverage artificial intelligence is to do a couple of things. One is to predict what will happen when. So if we know currently there's this level of mental flexibility, there's this level of unlearning, this level of hope in somebody, we can start to predict what their change readiness is and maybe what their reskill index is. So how much support they need, how much time they might need in order for them to go through that change with a positive outcome. So we're starting to take the information using AI and machine learning to do that predictive analysis of what their reskill index might be in their change readiness. The next part of where we're using AI, Tony, is kind of um, imagine Iron Man's Jarvis, you know, and we've seen lots of sci-fi where we have these personal assistants. And the current experiences of, of AI in Siri or Alexa or various things is we're asking questions and getting almost fact information. You know, what's the weather? Play me this music, you know, set this alarm, do, do these kind of basic things. If we all had a personal coach that understood how we learn, when we learn, how we adapt, what motivates us, it could then give a new level of personalized coaching in the moment in micro learning. So it can take information that this is happening either in your environment, in your team, in your organization, and be able to feed you with a, ah, this is going on. The team are all suffering from high stress. Their resilience is low. I need to feed them for this hope. Here's a positivity TED talk piece. So it can proactively start to influence you like a good friend would. Hey, Tony, I see you're a bit down today. Um, you know, and you have conversation and you then start talking about your children and a great holiday you had. And all of a sudden it's a tonic and you feel better. So for us, this opportunity where giving coaching at scale is traditionally hard. What happens is it, it's for the elite, get it one-to-one -one with the experts. Mm -hmm. Next layer down, we get access to that digitally. And it might be digitally on mass or digitally static. So it will be a video version of that person, but I can't interact with it. You know, if I want to interact with Tony Robbins, I can pay a million bucks and be one-to-one -one with him, you know, <laughs> or I can subscribe to some of his video stuff, or I can pay a few hundred dollars, you know, and be in an old school in a massive theater with 30,000 people. Right. But what if AI could then allow me to get say a 60% version of Tony that I could interact with and it responds in a Tony-esque way to the questions to this has happened. What do I need to do? That's what we're using technology to try and scale coaching so that it's personalized for everyone. Gotcha. Okay. What is the one thing that I should do first to make sure that I'm helping my people be as adaptable as they can be? I think the first thing is know your numbers, you know, know where your benchmark is, get an understanding of where they are, because we're not all trained psychologists or counselors or to know what's going on for somebody. 
even in the same room it's hard let alone now where most people are working via zooms and things like this to know are they covering up their level of fear of anxiety of their mental well-being are they just one step away from being in a serious situation and it's our responsibility as a leader to know truly where people are at so get it assessed whether it's with our assessment or or anywhere start to ask questions in a safe environment you know we've built it in a way that it's not trying to come across of oh are you emotionally stable <laughs> you know <laughs> oh lots of change going on you know are you are you you know reaching for sharp objects <laughs> um, is that this is a way of introducing it that is a positive one we're going through change we recognize that we want to support and help you through it Okay. Okay. So um, obviously, if somebody is watching this and they want to learn more about uh, adaptability quotient, you have a book, Decoding uh, AQ, which is available on Amazon, I think, and all the different media. Uh, But if somebody wants to reach out to you directly to say, Ross, I would love to talk to you about how your company might help me get that baseline you're talking about, how would they do that? So there's a couple of ways. Um, Connecting with me through LinkedIn is great ross thornley uh, on linkedin uh, our website is aqai.io lots of information and various things in there what we might be able to do uh, tony is set up um if someone's curious and they want to do their own aq assessment we'll we'll set you up with a um a special code so that we can do that at a discount it's like 65 bucks for an individual but we'll be able to do something so that they can at least start their curiosity and see is this something that they feel is going to be helpful for them and their team so we'll do that um, because for us our mission is to leave no one behind that's what matters to us it's not about the elite getting even better and innovating and adapting it's about everyone having a better future than they have today so that they can we can all, you know, all boats rising in the tide. I love that vision. And I appreciate you letting everybody know how they might be able to just get their baseline and get started. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the future is much bigger than the past. Uh, but obviously, we're going to all have to adapt in one way or another to, to reach that future. So, uh, Ross Thorny, thank you so much for joining me uh, today. It's fascinating, and I've, I've loved our conversation, and I look forward to following up even more as we are together routinely now on a, on a coaching call with Strategic Coach. So I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Tony. It's been a real pleasure. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description, and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at tonycaldwell.net slash contact.